under 25 years and my life is still trying to get out of that great hollow hill and back to civilization oh, I forgot my hat, look at my hat, there we go I realized quickly when I turned to wood that the north was made up of this brotherhood of whites raised by unnatural means and so I fly sometimes when I'm in my root nest Pretend I'm a three-eyed crow in Bran Stark's head And I, uh, I'm feeling uh, a bit like a peeper And so I wake up in the morning, kind of step outside But I eat some weird paste and I get real high And I scream at Brandon Stark, say, got any con? And I said that I probably shouldn't sing this part because that's well out of my register and I wouldn't subject you guys to do that. But good news, guys, good news. In the, uh, in the previous stream, which was aborted, I recorded a fat bass line so we could do this a little different. We don't need the hat. In fact, we don't need the hood. We need the mask. We don't need none of this. Yeah. It's like, let's swing it a little bit here. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, there we go. Let me put on some sunglasses here, some Ray Brands. <clears throat> 125 years and my life is still Trying to get back out of that great hollow hill Back to civilization I realized quickly when I turned to wood that the North was made up of this brotherhood of whites Raised by unnatural means And so I fly sometimes when I'm in my root nest Pretend I'm a three-eyed crow in Bran Stark's head And I am feeling a bit like a peeper I wake up in the morning, can't step outside But I eat some weird paste and I get real high and I Scream at Brandon Stark, say, got any con? And I said, say, yeah, 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 yeah. Say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, say, got any con? Got any con? And I fly. Oh my god, do I fly? I fly all the time. Where? In Bran Stark's visions. And I pray. Oh, world gods, do I pray? I pray every single day, day. The Bran won't end up like you'll run. All right. What did I just click on? I saw somebody say. Heh <laughs> You epic fucking nerd. Yep, that's me. That's me. I had to do this twice, too. Did it once, thought I was streaming, did like half the performance, and then it occurred to me that, no, I was not streaming. But there you go. That was the encore. I gave you two versions of it. I don't know what else to do for you guys. I'm, I'm trying my best here. So thank you for coming. We do have a very serious discussion of mythology and Joseph Campbell, and mythemes and archetypes coming. Uh, but, you know, just had to start it off with something a little different. A little different. I hope I entertained some of you. All right. So thank you, everybody, for watching the video, sharing the video, sending in good questions. Uh, lots of that going on. Really appreciate it. I, uh, 
make a fool out of myself for your guys' entertainment, of course. I've, I've read that's what's uh, expected of me as a YouTube Y-level uh, celebrity, so doing what I can. In any case, guys, thanks a lot, like I said, for coming. And we did have some great questions sent in, for which I am very, very grateful. So just real quick, guys, are we having fun with King Bran? Are we having fun? Um, let's talk fandom, guys. Let's talk fandom. There's been a lot of burnouts, to say the least. Let's flip my light off here. There's been a lot of burnout, a lot of, uh, you know, disappointment with the show ending. And so people have been sort of wandering away and doing other things and moving on to other shows and things like that. And people are kind of bummed out. And there was arguing in the fandom about whether or not the ending was good and who should be shipped with who and all this stuff. But, but, I think most of you are fired up about the books, and The Winds of Winter is going to be awesome, and I am, I am your rock of Winds of Winter enthusiasm, guys. That's, that's what we're doing here with this whole King Brand series, and if you've had to take a break, you know, that's cool, and if people are on break now, that's cool, but I think they will find their way back to, yes, the hype train for T-Wow, Ball the Bard, exactly right. Yeah, so, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm diving into the King Brand stuff. Got lots more planned. Got uh, some Weird Wood Net shutdown stuff, Euron stuff coming. In any case, um, some of you guys really know the way to my heart, I have to say. Uh, so basically, we've got a tie. we got a tie for best way to LML's heart comment. One comes from AP who says, The best part was Old Nan's impersonation. Great work, as always. That is the way to make me happy. Compliment my old Nan voice. Yes. And D. D. Villano says, Finally, someone sees the blade as possible an impregnating penis that results in death by childbirth. And so, guys, this, this might be the funniest comment I've gotten in a while. Not this one, but the one that came right before this. So, D. D. Villano is somebody who uh, found my YouTube channel just recently and has been sort of just diving through the back catalog. And I've been watching her comments as she goes along. And this, this happens um, periodically as someone sort of finds my channel, you know, just recently and they dive through it and I'll watch their comments as they go. And so she watches the first episode and sorry if I'm putting you on the spot, Dee, but this is just endlessly entertaining. So I got to read this. Uh, she says, I've been asking people on the web if anyone recognizes that Azor High is a repeating pattern and that it's a metaphor for a woman giving up her maidenhead and dying in childbirth. Nobody recommended you. I finally found you. Thanks. It's like, yep. Came to the right place, D. Hope you're watching. But, yes. And then, yeah, so the impregnating penis. Got a kick out of that in the video. And then she gets to, uh, she gets to Waves of Night and Moonblood, which is like Bloodstone number three. And she comments, dude, my brain hurts. And I'm thinking to myself, uh-oh, I may have lost her. Uh, but then she made it to some other ones. So I think, I think she made it over the hump there. And, uh, yeah. So Alfred Sinkovich says, I hope George sees your channel and videos and feel proud of your work. Thanks, George. Or thanks, Alfredo, rather. Uh, yes, obviously that would be a dream come true. Uh, but mostly I just wanted to share this comment because it was really nice. And a lot of you have left really nice supportive comments in the last couple months on the videos. And I just wanted to say that I really, really uh, appreciate it. So that means a lot every time you guys leave a little remark that you enjoyed the video. Or you got one of my little jokes. Uh, it makes me feel appreciated, so thanks, guys. Uh, Leah Lemieux says, The Galah is clearly the brains of this outfit. Got that right? The Galah is the name for the, the pink cockatoo that I have. Sato says, I was watching a video of Alt-Shift-X the other day and geeked out when he dropped your name. 
May your winters be short and your summers bountiful. Thank you for the blessing, and I just wanted to read that one just to say thanks to AltShiftX. If you're watching, thanks for uh, dropping my name. Um, maybe I'll find a, a way to collaborate with him one time. He's, he's one of those big fish in the pond. But he does uh, watch some of my videos, apparently, and drops my name once in a while. So thanks, buddy. Lady Elaine Fairchild says, Brand's little face overlaid with Sir Nuno's leaves is the gift none of us knew we needed. Great artwork throughout. Also, after reading this a few weeks back, it's been on my mind quite a lot. Excellent work, sir. So Lady Elaine read it first on Patreon, because of course I do the early release of the text versions on Patreon. So thanks, Lady Elaine. I did have fun with the brand Sir Nunos uh, mashup there. It seemed like the thing to do. So... Jared Hurley says, great video. Enjoyed the Jethro Tull singing. Thank you. Again, any of my inside jokes, if you get them, leave a comment. That always makes me feel good. Uh, let's see. Justin Curl says, Bran will be king because... Ah, who cares? Just have Dinklage read the lines. That's according to D&D. So I included that comment. We don't do a ton of D&D snark on the channel. Um, however, I, I thought I would contrast that one with the next comment from Denise to Steele, who says giving me so much more to appreciate in the series and a whole new way I'll be reading the sixth book. So let's contrast those two. Like, on one hand, you, we get the end of Bran's story on the TV show. It's very disappointing. Ooh, Brand Unos. I like that bard. Nice. It's very disappointing. Uh, in fact, I've seen a lot of people comment that they've actually lost enthusiasm for the books because of the way the show ended, and that's, like, super disappointing. That sucks. Um... So kind of one of the things that I've always tried to do on my podcast is to spread enthusiasm for George's book. I mean, you guys know I basically run on enthusiasm about mythology and symbolism. It's basically show and tell for me. I found something cool. I want to show everybody something cool. And so, you know, looking back through the books with King Bran, I found a lot of really cool stuff. I've been having a ton of fun putting it together. And I'm just hoping to... You know, just anybody that, that watches it and, and gets more enthusiastic about Winds of Winter and A Dream of Spring, that's that's what I'm trying to do, man. That's what I'm trying to do. So thanks a lot for that comment. And I do think we have a ton to look forward to. And, you know, there is a little bit of an air going out of the bubble right now. Um, but I think when we get the announcement for T-Wow that it's coming, uh, that's going to pump everybody back up. And then when the actual book comes out, I mean, T-Wow is going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. And... Yes, there'll be, uh, there'll be no lack of enthusiasm at that point. Uh, Calvin's Bottom says, This supports my Bran in John's body theory, I assume. And I was like, wait, what? And uh, I asked him to expound, and he was saying that, you know, John's dead, and so maybe Bran will inhabit his body either for a short time or for a long time, which is really freaky. Uh, but that would be weird, like Summer King, Winter King, kind of, if that happens. I... I tend to think that Bran might end up in Hodor's body for a little while, as opposed to Jon's body. But I do like the idea that Jon's body will be contested over, maybe whited by the others temporarily, and then we got to steal it back, something like that. So, uh, yeah, John Isai says, All the big-name fans taking the show ending as 100% confirmed canon is what burns me out. The more I can be convinced the book will be different, the more excited I get. Great comment, John. Yeah, so, uh, without naming names, I will say a lot of the big-name fans and content creators have gotten really obnoxious uh, lately, and not the good kind of obnoxious where you wear wigs and have strong opinions uh, on uh, symbolism, but rather 
just the sort of tone policing about like liking the ending. There is a lot of very heavy pressure uh, it, not to criticize the ending, not to be a party pooper, just let people have fun, blah, 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 blah. And obviously, if you liked it, you can like it. But if you didn't like it, you can say that, too. And I, I feel like that was it was really heavy. There's a lot of browbeating. Not only is, was the ending actually good, actually, no, I don't think it was, but there's also this big thing about, like, yes, th- that's canon, you know. John's going to murder Danny. Everything's going to happen just the way that it did on the show, in the books. I definitely don't think that's necessarily the case. I don't claim to know exactly what will be different and what will be the same, but... Um, I've definitely got some ideas about how it can be different. And one thing I've focused on in the King Brand series is magic and myth. Because Brand's story, more than anybody else's, I mean, it's his story is a magical, mythical story. He's a character pulled right out of the pages of Fable. And so, you know, with the show reducing magic and hardly using any symbolism and myth at all, Brand's, I mean, Brand's just not going to make sense in that context. So Brand, more than anything else... Uh, John Isai's, I think, will be different than in the books. I mean, just way different. So, Yeah, River Musala, a good question here. I'll just grab this. Do you see a connection between the Weirwood Trees, Yggdrasil, and Amanita Muscaria, and is Brandon Odin? Uh, well, Bloodraven is Odin, but Bran is becoming Bloodraven, so every green seer kind of is Odin, in a sense. Um, I've talked a lot about Yggdrasil, obviously, um, I've talked less about mushrooms, but I do think George is using some cool mushroom symbolisms for uh, symbolisms, <laughs> mushroom symbolism for the weirwoods, uh, both in the way that they are primarily an underground root network that just pops up, you know, tops, caps, if you will, here and there, uh, and the way that you know Blood Raven's got the mushroom on his cheek, um, and of course mushrooms, fungus in general. There's um, if you've ever done any research into a way that forests uh, trees in a forest will communicate to each other, they're using the um, they're called mycorrhizo mycorrhizo fungi, and basically they they colonize uh, they colonize the root networks. That's what I was trying to say with uh, lots of healthy mycorrhizal bacteria, and they allow communication to each other. I don't know how it works, but basically. It's science, and trees use fungus and root networks to communicate with each other. I definitely think that George is sort of digging into that, both a pando organism and general mushroom symbolism. There's also a deeper thing with um, rain. So mushrooms spring up after a rain, right? Well, there's a lot of symbolism about the weirwoods springing up in response to the meteor attacks, and I've talked about that a little before, but there, there is a symbolism of like this deadly corpse rain uh, and the weirwoods uh, spring up like mushrooms. They also act like grave worms, sort of eating the corruption and containing it. And that's where I got into my ideas about there being a big nasty black meteor on the Isle of Faces that the weirwoods are like containing the poison from. But a uh, little bit of a different path there. Always willing to talk about mushrooms, though. So. Yeah, uh, Raven Salix pipes in that they eat mushrooms down in the caves. A hundred kinds of mushrooms. And uh, the Weirwoods obviously have that red and white Amanita muscaria uh, coloring. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of lot going on. Yeah, and we also don't know um, about the... Yeah, so Daniel Morante is asking about propagation. We don't know if Weirwood seeds are real. I've actually got a good question coming on that a little bit later. So I will table that discussion for a moment. Carla Muscada on Twitter, at Hamster Carly. Does Bran become king partway through A Dream of Spring or only for an epilogue like in the show? I kind of feel like there's not enough time to explore King Bran for more than a few chapters. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. 
uh, but the thing is that I think the King Bran idea applies to him as soon as he comes back from Blood Raven's cave. Like, because his role is a Green Seer King, so being on the actual throne of Westeros is almost more of a formality. Um, once he comes back and is the Green Seer, sort of coordinating uh, the resistance to the others, if you will, then he's essentially the Weirwood King. He's the Green Seer King now. Um, so. I do think we'll get plenty of time to explore it, and I think that we'll see a little more than what we did in the show as far as Bran helping to rebuild, because that's the whole idea of a Summer King, um, not just to help turn the seasons, but to actually, I keep saying, give birth to the Dream of Spring, make sure the Dream of Spring you know, becomes a reality of Summer. So we'll see Bran uh, overseeing some of that. And actually, there's a little bit that I clipped from my essay that has to do with this thing exactly. You guys remember I was talking about Myrne Gardner, right? Um, he's uh, Myrne, uh, the Greybeard. You know, Garth Greybeard Gardner. Sorry, not Myrne. Garth Greybeard Gardner. He was the really old dude. He was tied to his bed when the Dornish came and sacked Highgarden. They burned the Oaken Seat and they burned Highgarden. And I compared Garth Greybeard tied to his bed uh, to Blood Raven tied to his weirwood dreaming nest. So check out what happens afterwards, because this may foreshadow some of Bran's uh, A Dream of Summer action. So, almost a decade of anarchy followed. This is after the burning of the Oaken Seat. But in the end, two score of the great houses of the Reach, led by Sir Osmond Tyrell, the High Steward, made common cause, defeated both the Peaks and Manderleys, reclaimed the ruins of Highgarden, and placed a second cousin of the late and unlamented Garth Greybeard upon its throne as King Myrne the Fourth or King Myrne the Sixth Gardener. Although a man of modest gifts, Myrne the Sixth had able counsel in his stewards. Sir Osmond Tyrell was succeeded in that office by his son, Sir Robert, and later by a grandson, Laurent. Relying on their acumen, Myrne the Sixth ruled well, rebuilding Highgarden and doing much and more to restore House Gardner and the Reach. So King Myrne Gardner is a man with modest gifts, while Bran is a powerful boy with the gift. But this new king who was crowned in the burnt ruins of Highgarden nevertheless seems like a strong parallel to King Bran. King Myrne is placed upon a new throne after an old one was destroyed, just as Bran is likely to become king after the Iron Throne is destroyed, and possibly after Bloodraven's Weirwood Throne is destroyed, as we talked about. New King Myrne does much to rebuild the realm after a period of war and anarchy that followed the death of the last Garth King to sit the Wooden Throne which tracks well with Blood Raven dying as the others invade, war and anarchy ravaging the land, and then Bran sitting on a new throne and rebuilding the realm, likely through a council of wise advisors, just as King Myrn Gardner did. One could also see a parallel between Garth Greybeard and King Robert Baratheon, since Robert was a Garth figure whose death was followed by the War of the Five Kings, which was a lot of anarchy, to be sure, and since the War of the Five Kings is essentially going to run right into the invasion of the others. So new King Bran will in fact be rebuilding from both the invasion of the others and the War of the Five Kings. So there you go. It was sort of in the weeds, so I cut it out of the last one. Uh, but there you go. After the Oaken Seed is burned, new king takes the throne. He's a young king, and he rebuilds everything. So <laughs> while I'm pulling stuff from the book, let's go ahead and dive into the death of King Renly. I'm going to read a little bit for you guys. So the death of King Renly, I've covered it before. You guys probably remember. Renly is a summer king just like Robert. They have all the same symbolism. Uh, Renly is just a younger version of Robert. He's got the, the coal black hair. 
uh, the blue eyes and and all the green uh, stuff and the antlers. And in fact, he's actually got even more obvious green man symbolism because once he allies with uh, the Reach, he sort of crosses his uh, Baratheon stuff with the colors of Highgarden, which are green and gold. And so he ends up even more green and gold than a typical Baratheon. Oh, nice. Compare me to the Abbot. Thanks, Jan. That's nice. That's nice. The Rizza. So what we're doing here is we're talking about the death of Renly. Remember I talked about the death of Robert it comes right at the end of summer uh, and portends, you know, it's the Summer King dying right as fall comes and his death is mentioned at the Harvest Feast and all that. Well, Renly's death is much the same. The symbolism has a ton of stuff about the ending of summer, the coming of night, dying trees, all kinds of really good stuff. So I'm going to read through this. It's probably about four or five minutes. And you guys listen with your sharp little ears. Uh, and then when I'm done, we'll go back over and see what kind of nuggets that we can find. But I'm not going to pause as I read through it. So I'll let you guys catch this as I go. They rode in silence through sparse woodland where the trees leaned drunkenly away from the sea. The nervous whinny of horses and the clank of steel guided them back to Renly's camp. This is a Catlin chapter, by the way. It's Catlin's POV. The long ranks of man and horse were armored in darkness, as black as if the smith had hammered night itself into steel. There were banners to her right, banners to her left, and rank on rank of banners before her, but in the pre-dawn gloom, neither colors nor sigils could be discerned. A gray army, Catelyn thought. Gray men, on gray horses beneath gray banners. As they sat their horses waiting, Renly's shadow knights pointed their lances upward, so she rode through a forest of tall, naked trees, bereft of leaves and life. Where Storm's End stood was only a deeper darkness, a wall of black through which no stars could shine. But she could see torches moving across the fields where Lord Stannis had made his camp. The candles within Renly's pavilion made the shimmering silken walls seem to glow, transforming the great tent into a magical castle alive with emerald light. Two of the Rainbow Guards stood sentry at the door to the royal pavilion. The green light shone strangely against the purple plums of Sir Parman's surcoat and gave a sickly hue to the sunflowers that covered every inch of Sir Eamon's enameled yellow plate. Long silken plumes flew from their helms and rainbow cloaks draped their shoulders. Within, Catelyn found Brienne armoring the king for battle while the lords Tarly and Rowan spoke of dispositions and tactics. It was pleasantly warm inside, the heat shimmering off the coals in a dozen small iron braziers. "'I must speak with you, your grace,' she said, granting him a king's style for once, anything to make him heed her. "'In a moment, Lady Catelyn,' Renly replied. Brienne fit backplate to breastplate over his quilted tunic. The king's armor was a deep green, the green of leaves in a summer wood, so dark, so dark it drank the candlelight. Gold highlights gleamed from inlay and fastenings like distant fires in that wood, winking every time he moved. "'Pray continue, Lord Mathis.' "'Your grace,' Mathis Rowan said with a sideways glance at Catelyn. "'As I was saying, our battles are well drawn up. Why wait for daybreak? Sound the advance.' And have it said that I won by treachery with an unchivalrous attack? Dawn was the chosen hour. Chosen by Stannis, Randall Tarley pointed out. He'd have us charge into the teeth of the rising sun. We'll be half blind. Only until first shock, Renly said confidently. Sir Loras will break them, and after that it will be chaos. Brienne tightened green leather straps and buckled golden buckles. Skipping ahead a tiny bit. "'Say your say, Lady Stark,' Renly said. Brienne swept his cloak over his broad shoulders. It was cloth of gold, heavy, with a crowned stag of Baratheon picked out in flakes of jet. "'The Lannisters tried to kill my son, Bran. A thousand times I have asked myself why. 
Your brother gave me answer. There was a hunt the day he fell. Robert and Ned and most of the other men rode out after the boar, but Jamie Lannister remained at Winterfell, as did the Queen. Renly was not slow to take the implication. So you believe the boy caught them at their incest? I beg you, my lord, grant me leave to go to your brother Stannis and tell him what I suspect. To what end? Rob will set aside his crown if you and your brother will do the same, she said, hoping it was true. She would make it true if she must. Rob would listen to her, even if his lords would not. Let the three of you call for a great council, such as the realm has not seen for a hundred years. We will send to Winterfell, so Bran may tell his tale, and all men may know the Lannisters for the true usurpers. Let the assembled lords of the Seven Kingdoms choose who shall rule them. Renly laughed. Tell me, my lady, do direwolves vote on who should lead the pack? Brienne brought the king's gauntlets and great helm, crowned with golden antlers that would add a foot and a half to his height. The time for talk is done. Now we see who is stronger. Renly pulled a lobstered green and gold gauntlet over his left hand, while Brienne knelt to buckle on his belt, heavy with the weight of long sword and dagger. I beg you in the name of the mother, Catelyn began, when a sudden gust of wind flung open the door of the tent. She thought she glimpsed a movement, but when she turned her head it was only the king's shadow shifting against the silken walls. She heard Renly begin a jest, his shadow moving, lifting his sword, black on green, candles guttering, shivering. Something was queer, wrong, and then she saw Renly's sword still in its scabbard, sheathed still, but the shadow sword... "'Cold,' said Renly in a small, puzzled voice. A heartbeat before the steel of his gorget parted like cheesecloth, beneath the shadow of a blade that was not there. He had time to make a small, thick gasp before the blood came gushing out of his throat. "'Your gr- "'No!' cried Brienne the Blue when she saw that evil flow, sounding as scared as any little girl. The king stumbled into her arms, a sheet of blood creeping down the front of his armor, a dark red tide that drowned his green and gold. More candles guttered out. Renly tried to speak, but he was choking on his own blood. His legs collapsed, and only Brienne's strength held him up. She threw back her head and screamed, wordless in her anguish. The shadow. Something dark and evil had happened here, she knew. Something that she could not begin to understand. Renly never cast that shadow. Death came in the door and blew the life out of him as swift as the wind snuffed out his candles. Only a few instants passed before Robar Royce and Aemon Kai came bursting in, though it felt like half the night. A pair of men-at-arms crowned in behind with torches. When they saw Renly in Brienne's arms and her drenched with the king's blood, Sir Robar gave a cry of horror. "'Wicked woman!' screamed Sir Aemon, he of the sun-flowered steel. "'Away from him, you vile creature!' "'Gods be good, Brienne, why?' asked Sir Robar. Brienne looked up from her king's body. The rainbow cloak that hung from her shoulders had turned red where the king's blood had soaked into the cloth. "'Aye, aye, you'll die for this!' Sir Aemon snatched up a long-handed battle-axe from the weapons piled near the door. "'You'll pay for the king's life with your own!' No, Catelyn Stark screamed, finding her voice at last, but it was too late. The blood madness was on them, and they rushed forward with shouts that drowned her softer words. Brienne moved faster than Catelyn would have believed. Her own sword was not in hand, so she snatched Renly's from its scabbard and raised it to catch Aemon's axe on the downswing. A spark flashed blue-white as steel met steel with a rending crash, and Brienne sprang to her feet, the body of the dead king thrust rudely aside. Sir Aemon stumbled over it as he tried to close, and Brienne's blade sheared through the wooden half to send his axe head spinning. Another man thrust a flaming torch at her back, but the rainbow cloak was too sodden with blood to burn. Brienne spun and cut, and the torch and hand went flying. 
Flames crept across the carpet. The maimed man began to scream. Sir Eamon dropped the axe and fumbled for his sword. The second man-at-arms lunged. Brienne parried, and their swords danced and clanged against each other. When Eamon and Kai came waiting back in, Brienne was forced to retreat, yet somehow she held them both at bay. On the ground, Renly's head rolled sickeningly to one side, and a second mouth yawned wide. The blood coming from him now in slow pulses, sorry. Uh, Sir Robar had hung back, uncertain, but now he was reaching for his hilt. Robar, no, listen, Catelyn seized his arm. You do her wrong, it was not her. Help her, hear me, it was Stannis. The name was on her lips before she could think how it got there, but as she said it, she knew it was true. I swear it, you know me, it was Stannis killed him. The young Rainbow Knight stared at this madwoman with pale and frightened eyes. Stannis? How? I do not know. Sorcery. Some dark magic. There was a shadow. A shadow. Her own voice sounded wild and crazed to her, but the words poured out in a rush as the blades continued to clash behind her. A shadow with a sword. I swear it. I saw. Are you blind? The girl loved him. Help her. She glanced back, saw the second guardsman fall, his blade dropping from limp fingers. Outside, there was shouting. More angry men would be bursting in on them any instant, she knew. She's innocent, Robar. You have my word on my husband's grave and my honor as a Stark. That resolved him. I will hold them, Sir Robar said. Get her away. The fire had reached the wall and was creeping up the side of the tent. Sir Eamon was pressing Brienne hard, him in his enameled yellow steel and her in wool. He had forgotten Catelyn until the iron brazier came crashing into the back of his head. Helmed as he was, the blow did no lasting harm, but it sent him to his knees. Brienne, with me, Catelyn commanded. Let's see here. I think that's the end of what I need to read. The king's pavilion was well ablaze, flames rising high against the dark. No one made any move to stop them. Uh, let's see. Renly's battles were already coming apart as the rumors spread from mouth to mouth. The night fires had burned low, and as the east began to lighten, the immense mass of Storm's End emerged like a dream of stone, while wisps of pale mist raced across the field, flying from the sun on wings of wind. Morning ghosts, she had heard old Nan call them once, spirits returning to their graves, and Renly was one of them now, gone like his brother Robert, like her own dear Ned. And then, last paragraph, as the long fingers of dawn fanned across the fields, color was returning to the world. Where gray men had sat gray horses armed with shadow spears, the points of ten thousand lances now glinted silvery cold, and on the myriad flapping banners Catelyn saw the blush of red and pink and orange, the richness of blues and browns, the blaze of gold and yellow. All the power of Storm's End and Highgarden, the power that had been Renly's an hour ago. They belonged to Stannis now, she realized, even if they did not know it themselves yet. Where else are they to turn if not the last Baratheon? Stannis had won all with an evil stroke. I am the rightful king, he had declared, his jaw clenched as hard as iron, and your son no less a traitor than my brother here. His day will come as well. A chill went through her. All right, so there's a bunch of stuff going on there. Obviously, it's the death of a green man. He's a giant. He's turning cold. All the lights, you know, it starts off a warm, magical castle, alive with emerald light, and there's... Uh, you know, there's fire and warmth and all that stuff. Uh, and then, of course, it goes cold. The lights are blown out. And, yes, so this is a clear transition from, you know, the Knights of Summer, if you will, as they're called in, like, I think it's like the previous Catelyn chapter. That's the one where she arrives to Renly's uh, camp, and they're all having a tourney, and they're all laughing and drinking. And she delivers that line about, these are the Knights of Summer, and winter is coming. Uh, and so here is literally winter coming. Um, now, Stannis, I've compared Stannis before 
to the King of Winter side of things. Uh, he's emaciated, he's undead, half a zombie, lots of blue icy symbolism, Night's King symbolism. So he would represent the King of Winter in the sort of King of Winter, Summer King equation. He's more like the Starks in his symbolism. So what we have here is basically a Winter King killing the Summer King. It's very straightforward Oak King, Holly King action going on. Summer is drowned out in blood. Every, you know, like I said, all the lights go out. So Robert and Renly are basically parallel. Their status as ghosts is compared to each other. And I am scrolling back. Uh, Sir Eamon Kai, kind of one of those nice things. So he's, all the Rainbow uh, Guard knights have colored armor, you know, according to one of the colors of the rainbow. Because um, Renly is very devout and likes the Faith of the Seven. Or he's very happy and likes rainbows. Uh, in any case, Aemon Kai is all in yellow armor and he's got the sunflowers. So this is obviously a sun symbolism. And what do we see when, uh, when Catelyn walks up to the tent? The sunflowers look sickly in the green light. And so this is basically, this is summer coming to an end. The sun is getting sick, it's about to die. And indeed, Renly the Solar King dies. Um, Aemon himself is sort of knocked out. And I kind of like that cute line about how it says, you know, he'll be okay. You know, he just got knocked on the head a bit. So it's like, yeah, summer will be all right. It'll come back. And it will. And then uh, kind of the centerpiece of this whole thing, right in the middle of all this really cool occult symbolism. And by the way, you know, just reading a scene like this, I mean, how good is T-Wow going to be, guys? Get ready for more scenes like this, only it's not going to be the 20th time you've read it, but the first. You know, you probably don't even remember what it was like reading that scene for the first time. But imagine John's resurrection. It's going to be rendered in tons of occult language. It's going to be awesome. So, am I missing some good stuff in the chat? It looks like there's some hot action going on here. Uh, yes, Geek Teori. Oh, bringing up Fire Moon and Ice Moon talk. Wow, it's been a while. Yeah, so she's talking about the torch that somebody thrust at the back of Brienne's. Uh, cloak, possibly so. She turns around and chops the head off the torch too. So that could be Brienne's definitely one of those locked in ice figures. And it's it's interesting that uh, also present in this tent we have the weirwood goddess figure Catelyn, um, sort of presiding over the ritual sacrifice, if you will. And then Brienne, who's this ice moon figure. Um, and so I, Brienne is kind of like a king of winter here. You know, she represents the ice moon coming into power as, uh, you know, because generally the green man and the fire moon are associated because it's the first death. Uh, it's when everything gets sort of polluted and degraded. Um, yeah, so right in the middle, we've got this line that sounds like King Brand foreshadowing. And I think other people have picked up on this. So I can't claim to be the first person to have spotted this here. But it's the bit about Brand coming down to have a council, right? So Catelyn's talking about exposing uh, the Lannister incest and the fact that the Lannisters tried to kill Bran. And so she's saying, let's have Bran come down to King's Landing and we'll have a great council and pick a new king, which is exactly what happens at the end of the TV show, of course. Bran comes down to King's Landing and they have a great council and they pick Bran as king. So interesting that this is dropped in right here in the middle. They also talk about Rob's death, um, which has more of that ritual sacrifice stuff going on. He was killed at the feast there. So thoughts, guys. What do we catch on this one here? I'm, I'm going to uh, glance back over the chat here for a quick second. Uh, Ball the Bard chimes in, Brienne is also the king's guard of a summer king who ends up serving the weirwood goddess, which is an archetype we see elsewhere. 
Uh, yes, you're thinking of, gosh, you're thinking of uh, Rhaenyra and the uh, the Dance of the Dragons, I believe. Oh, Barristan, yep. True, yeah, she goes over to, to serve Danny. Ah, very good, okay. Um, Asherah's Trueborn son. Uh, let's see, oh, they're talking about treason. Yeah, so I'm not sure about, as far as Stannis and Renly goes, uh, symbolism-wise, Robert and Renly are basically identical. Um, is So I don't, I mean, I don't know how much about rightful kingship and all that. I mean, I guess I guess Stannis is the rightful king if you look at the laws of inheritance, but I'm mostly talking about this from uh, symbolism's sake. Mm, do, 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 do. So, see, Bob, no one is talking about John being resurrected, and in the show he goes beyond the wall, just like the Night King, question mark, what will he become in a thousand years? So, see, Bob, I strongly suspect that we are going to get the Cold Hands John ending, where John... Um, basically after he's done, becomes the new Cold Hands, ranging the north and sort of just patrolling forever and ever. He's undead. He can't die. He's got a very lonely, long watch ahead of him. Um, I think that is what the TV show started with and basically turned into happy, normal John, cleanly resurrected and going to chill with the wildlings. So I think that to me confirms that we are going to get a Cold Hands John ending. Um, so yeah, John is going to live forever, but he's going to be very lonely. He's going to be basically like cold hands. Um, and I don't think that he's, he's going to look the same in a thousand years, I think, because that's the whole thing about being undead in a cold environment is, is I don't think you really degrade. Like we don't know how old cold hands is. He could be 8,000 years old for all we know. So there you go. It's all over the place, guys. The summer king, winter king symbolism. It's very cool. And of course, you guys know at the Battle of the Blackwater, Renly has a great resurrection where he, you know, it's not really Renly, it's actually Garland Tyrell, Garland with a Garth name, uh, wearing Renly's armor, and both times the reflection of the orange flames on the armor is described. So he comes back as like this fiery green man, which I, maybe that's George's version of the Summer King coming back. Um, that, that could be sort of Bran's Fire of the Gods symbolism, like seeing a resurrected Renly. Uh, with the flames running on his green armor. Perhaps that is... I mean, it's obviously a nice counterpoint to Catelyn looking at Renly's green armor and seeing herself drowning in it, and in his death scene where all the fires are going out. And then when he's resurrected, we see the, the fire in his armor. And if you remember, at the beginning of this passage, there was another one when they described his green armor. It said... Gold highlights gleamed from inlay and fastenings like distant fires in that wood. So Renly looks like a dark wood with a little distant speck of fire in it when this scene begins. Then his fires are put out, and then when he's resurrected, he's on fire again. So you can see how the fire symbolism tracks to the idea of life and vitality and warmth and summer. Uh, so I, can, I think we can see that the resurrected Renly is is kind of like a summer king coming back then. So, um, I don't know how to change names is asking who took over for Garth, the ultimate summer king. It must have been a winter king, right? So, uh, if you remember back to the Green Zombie series, I compared Garth and the Barrow King because the Barrow King of the Barrowlands is maybe Garth. Like, there's a rumor that he's the first king of Westeros and Garth is also called the first king and also the grave of the Barrow King is said to be a giant's grave Garth is, seems to be kind of a little extra tall. So basically, it's, I don't know if... We don't know if Garth was an actual singular person that existed. That's I don't think is very important. The idea is that the Barrow King is the counterpart to Garth. 
in as far as that Summer King Green Man mythology. And you also have to remember that the Oak and Holly King, when you have it divided that way, is only one version of the Green Man. They, they're both the Green Man. Like, the Green Man exists above both of them as the nature god. It's only sometimes that the Green Man's identity is essentially split in half into Oak and Summer King. So, in a sense, Garth actually... Sorry, I'm just rearranging some shit on my counter here. Garth actually represents both in a sense. Um, but primarily the way he's rendered is as a Summer King, and certainly everyone from the Reach has that Summer King symbolism. But then he spun off um, Stannis, who's a Baratheon, just like Garth and Renly, but he does the Winter King thing. Um, so the strongest counterpart to Garth would either be just the Barrow King or the idea of the old Stark Kings of Winter. Um, they, the Barrow King and the Kings of Winter have much the same symbolism, and I think I talked about that in Green Zombies 2. Oh, very interesting. Uh, Bell the Bard says, you could even say that the ghost of Renly, Garland, Tyrell, is a false Summer King because he's only a ghost shadow of the dead Summer King, like a false spring. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and, and that's obviously not the end of the story or of anything, really. I mean, they win that battle, but all the wars keep going, you know. So, yeah, maybe that should be compared to, like, the idea of a, a false spring. It makes me want to go back and look at the false spring again. So, cool. Interesting find. Uh, Ned Braden says, Garth Greenhand reminds me of Robert Baratheon. Yeah, that's, um, that's the idea. All right, so I'm going to go back up here. I've got some more good questions that I want to get to. <laughs> Would love to hear your thoughts on if Bran will still be Bran when he takes over as High Green Seer, or if he will lose himself. Since the show didn't do a good job on Bran's character, would like to know how the book is going on this subject. So this question, this is a great question, super important, um... We don't know. Like, even the show wasn't very consistent, right? Like, when Bran first came back, he was very robotic, and he's like, I can't be the lord of anything. He can't even say goodbye to Mira. He's a complete robot. It was really cold. Then it seems like they calibrated it. Next season, he's a slightly more human, still kind of awkward and robotic. Um, but then after saying he can't be king, then he becomes king. Now he's smiling a little bit. It's, it's really confusing. Um, but... Basically, in, in the show, it seems like the entire Three-Eyed Crow, hive, Green Seer hive mind, downloads into Bran. Um, I don't know if that was the case with Bloodraven, or if we're supposed to think that like every Green Seer has that download. Um, but there's not, like, in the books, Bran and Bloodraven are both Green Seers at the same time. They both have access to the Weirwood Net. And there's nothing to make us think there can only be one Green Seer at a time. Um, if, Gran, if Bran leaves the cave, I think he can just leave. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is, if there's a download event, like there was in the show, then to me, in the books, that would essentially be the end of the Weirwood Net, or at least the end of mankind going into the Weirwood Net. Because what's happened is, the Weirwoods are functioning like a repository for the all the deceased green seers and possibly all the dead children as well but specifically all the green seers who die merge into this hive mind that lives inside the weirwood net now we don't know if there's actually still a tree mind that those green seers have merged with or if the tree has been hollowed out which is the theory that i favor and that it's basically just the green seer hive mind inside the trees but if there's a download event what i think we're going to get is basically all that Green Seer consciousness 
um, downloading into Bran. And that means that there won't be the ability for humans to go into the Weirwoods and become Greenseers anymore. I strongly favor that uh, that ending. So Bran would be the last Greenseer. And we literally only have Bran's lifetime to like write down everything Bran knows. And after Bran dies, we won't have a connection to the Weirwoods anymore. Um, that's what I would like to see. But I'm, you know, I'm just guessing a little bit there. Uh, educated guess, but... Uh, Geek Teori says, What is your thought on robotic brand? Do you think the showrunners got that from George? Maybe brand is not entirely brand, but a collective consciousness of past green seers. I think that brand will be more brand than he is on the show. He will retain more of his personality than on the show. Um, but he will be kind of like Blood Raven in the sense that like he can only hang out for a little while and then like the trees are calling. He's gotta go back to the trees. Um so I think it'll be not as not as robotic. I think it'll be more human. Uh, Book Brand has a personality. Yeah, he's got a personality. Of course he does. He's a he's a scared little boy. He's got a crush on Mira, and he's all alone, and he just wants to fly and be a knight. You know, just wants to be a knight. <laughs> Anyways, do you think that skin changers and green seers are as rare as Blood Raven says, or that it's more that there is less opportunity for these abilities to be recognized and trained appropriately? I suspect it is a little bit of both. Um, I think it's no coincidence that the Stark kids, you know, their gifts were activated because they all got little baby direwolves to bond with. Um, I think if you're a green seer but you're not raised near Weirwoods, then you may ne- never develop your gift. Uh, but if you grow up near Weirwoods, you know, eventually you hear the whispering of the trees and you know that side of you starts to get to get called out so i do think that's uh that's part of what's going on we're not ever going to find out but that's just kind of we're left to guess if bran is about 12 when he becomes king won't he have a regent until he's 16 will Tyrion be his regent is there any foreshadowing for rickon other than his dire wolf's name would it work if rickon became king of the north with sansa as regent no, I don't think Rickon's going to be king of the north. He's probably going to get a tragic ending, going to get caught up with all those horny goats and uh, wars in the north. He'll probably get used as a pawn by the Manderleys and other people. Um, so I don't think he'll be king of the north with Sansa as regent. It could happen, but I doubt it. Um, as far as Bran getting regents, no. Weirwood kings don't need regents, I don't think. I think he'll be looked at totally different because... If he's being put on the throne, then people are going to recognize his god-king ability. And, yeah, no one's going to suggest a regent for the god-king, I don't think. And it looks like Wiz the Smith agrees with me that there's probably more green seers than people think, and it's more about identifying the trait and being wed to the trees. Yeah, I tend to agree. Have you made any more progress on your Children of Garth? Uh, astrological science comparison. I found that one quite interesting, Rhea says. No, I put that one on the shelf a little bit. I've been diving into the King Brand thing. Um, I will come back to that eventually, but um, I'm not sure when. I do have like some notes for it, but uh, it's not written or anything like that. So thanks. I appreciate the, uh, the love for that episode. That was a fun one. I will come back to it. Um, I'm trying really hard right now to come out with material that is just as catchy and impactful as possible because there really is um, a big, just like I said, a letting out of the air of the balloon. A lot of people are looking for other shows, sort of drifting away, losing enthusiasm. So I'm trying to put my best material forward here uh, and get people excited about T-Wow and stuff. So I'll come back to some of those other episodes eventually. Like the Signs and Portals, for example. I've got more Signs and Portals episodes uh, that need to be written and stuff, but 
Let's see. Uh, MB says, great video. Also about the oak tree in Greek mythology, Zeus is sitting in the root of an oak tree in Dodona, and people interpret his oracles by moving of the leaves, by the moving of the leaves, the sound of wind and water, etc. And the oracle was established there when a black dove told humans to do so. So yeah, if we're, if we're riffing off of oak trees and sacred trees and green seers and stuff, this sounds like one more idea in the milieu. Obviously, you know, we talk about Yggdrasil and Odin and all that stuff. But Zeus sitting in the roots of the oak tree uh, and wrestling the leaves, which people interpret as the speaking of the gods. I mean, that's that's probably where George got that. I mean, I think we've talked about that a couple times, but I mean, that's that's pretty dead on, pretty right on the nose there. Christine Costa, what a great video. A thought, aren't all Garth's children symbols of the continuity of life? Not quite spring, not quite summer, but elements of the cycle of life. The pollinization of bees, the bull fertility, the golden new apples, the woman sacrificed into uh, sacrificed to a tree as a mother. Yep, totally. Um, I guess I didn't really make that point uh, or that sort of meta observation. But yeah, if you go through all of the children of Garth, they're very much continuing that cornucopia vibe. And you're right to point out that they do highlight the actual the life cycle. Um, so that's pretty cool. Very good. Andrew Knopp. I wonder if there is a connection between Ygritte and Rose of Red Lake. I've always thought Ygritte was an adaption of Egret, like the bird. Egrets and cranes are from the same family. Maybe I just need some coffee this morning. <laughs> no, I, I mean, it's not a literal connection, but it's, it's a symbolic one. It's an echo. You know, I think it's strongly implied that Brandon of the Bloody Blade has a strong connection to Rose, since Brandon was probably breeding skin changers in the same area that Rose was around. So you could sort of see this pairing of a stark man and a skin changer bird woman, if you will. Uh, and that's the same thing with Ygritte. Ygritte's not a skin changer, but she's got a ton of that child of the forest, weirward goddess symbolism, and, uh, and a bird name. So, I don't know, guys. Uh, myth heads, see what you can do with, uh, with bird lady symbolism. Are there any more that fit into that one? I guess Sansa's a little bird, right? Duh. She has tons of bird symbolism. Yeah, poor little bird woman getting macked on by violent dudes. Put your bloody blade away, Brandon. No one wants to see that. Hope you guys liked my little uh, image-missing joke on the bloody blade. Uh, Vertigon, I'm sorry. The background does move a little bit. It's just a banner. It does blow in the wind, and it does kind of make it look like you're taking drugs and everything is breathing a little bit. I just... I could fix it, I guess, but <laughs> it just seems appropriate, so... I'll leave it be. John Hearn, you made an interesting point about Brandon of the Bloody Blade killing and raping the children of the forest. Made me think about the only, uh, the fact that it seems like the only children of the forest we see seem to be females. So, do you think Brandon of the Bloody Blade may have killed all the men, leaving only women, and is that why they nearly went extinct? No, because that's too long ago. They already would have, that would have they would have gone extinct a long time ago. I don't think the children of the forest lived thousands of years. Hundreds of years, yes, but not thousands. However, there's no question that the first men decimated the populations of the uh, children of the forest. So that's definitely led to their, their low numbers. But what I wonder is if, in fact, all the children we see are female, is it the green men on the Isle of Faces that are the males? Um, are they the wood dancers? I strongly suspect that may be the case. Um, I'm seeing some cool stuff in the chat here. Wiz the Smith brings up the bower. 
Ah, the bower is a bird, of course, and the bower is also a weirwood castle of House Greenfield in A Song of Ice and Fire. I meant to talk about this during the Hollow Hills live stream. Hat tip again to Wisdom Smith's very cool Hollow Hills essay. Yes, the bower is literally a weirwood castle, and that's where Sir Preston Greenfield is from. And Sir Preston Greenfield is one of those Kingsguard who gets the ghostly white armor description. Um, so you've got more others coming from the Weirwoods symbolism very heavily suggested there. And then that ties in the bird symbolism to the Weirwood net. The Bower Bird. Very cool. Maud Mary says, I was working during the live show, but I watched it later. Love that you are back LML and in rare form. Yay! Super excited about all the new content. Thank you. Q&A, do you still foresee the Weirwood net being burned down to cleanse it? And that is leading into Vertigon's monster question, which I'm going to read here, and that will kick off some good discussion. But let me get this uh, loose question from Wiz first. Uh, how will Brand pay for his abominations? Will there be a price? No! It's all free! So Brand Bran paid the price first, in a sense. He lost his legs. So this is the Odin idea of losing your physical abilities to gain spiritual sight or spiritual abilities. So he's already paid that price. If he loses his humanity, that will be another price that he pays. And he's going to lose certain some of his humanity. Um, like all of our young heroes, he's losing the ability to live a normal life and be a kid. He's getting turned into a tree wizard. Specifically, when we're talking about the abominations of like eating the flesh of man while in a wolf, maybe eating Jojen paste, and then, you know, skin-changing Hodor. Um, we'll have to see if there's a price for that. I mean, I think some of the price might not necessarily be paid by Bran. Like, for example, Hodor pays the price for Hodor. And that's to help Bran. Like, even in the show, we see Hodor's sacrifice being done to help Bran. Like, physically, literally, he's holding the door shut. But also, Hodor becoming a vegetable is something that, or like, you know, simple or whatever, is something that had to happen for Bran as well. And so it seems like all the people around Bran who are helping them also pay the price as well as Bran. Um, and then when, you know, he's going to end up, you know, not being able to have children and quite frankly, becoming king. I don't know if it's really that fun. <laughs> it's more of a duty. So, you know, and then as far as do you think these are actual abominations? Is there an objective morality or is it just what rules people have put in place themselves? That's a good question. Because if Jojen paste is true, I mean, the children of the forest at least practice cannibalism, so that that's okay, apparently. Um, so, yeah, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. They could just be conventions that are designed for, you know, just to sort of keep regular people in line, but Bran, kind of like Euron, is a character who is defying all conventions and norms because he is kind of like a god-king, so... And also there's a theme of having to do dishonorable things for the greater good, but still also having to pay the price yourself. So, for example, Ned disgraces himself to try to save Sansa. John sacrifices his own honor in order to, uh, you know, kill Corn half-hand, sleeps with Ygritte, blotty-blotty-blotty, pretends to be a wildling. It's all for the good of the Watch and the Realm, but he's dishonoring himself. And people think of John as dishonored, so he pays that price. And so there'll be, there'll be some of that with Bran as well, where if he does have to do these abominations, 
then it's gonna that's gonna leave a mark in the sense that like he's now done horrible things he has to live with. Other people might know that he did that, and yeah. Will we see a wolf pack fight against the others in the books? Hell yeah, we will. Uh, Taya, you may not have seen the King Bran one video that I did, uh, but I talked a lot about the foreshadowing of Arya in the wolf pack, and I think Bran is going to be in on that action. So Vertigon's question, talking about the Weirwood Net as an abomination, which it kind of is. Perhaps the Weirwoods aren't as much a natural part of the arcane ecosystem as we've previously believed. Death is an essential part of life, and the children of the forest believe this strongly. As Bran notes, the children of the forest do not rail and cry against their decline into the night the way man would, for it is men who fail to come to terms with their own mortality and thus seek ever to break the laws of nature. If we consider the weirwoods from this perspective, then we can see what unnatural creations they really are. They do not die, except through external malevolence, and if and when they do die, it is not to fertilize and nourish the soil beneath them with their death, but to petrify and beget new, no new life. That's a really good point. I never thought about that, but that is the whole point of how, within the nature cycle, death pays for life, in the sense that old things die, they decay, they become nutrients for the forest floor, and then the new plants you know, rise up. And in that way, death is part of the cycle of life, but the weirwoods don't do that. That's a good point. Their function, uh, their function as repositories for all the souls who have joined with them in one fashion or another make them essentially tombs. And what comes out of tombs? The undead, of course. For the weirwoods are a place of undeath, as they are neither dead or alive. Animated, surely, but not alive. Again, I agree with this. Um, that's why they're white trees, W-I-G-H-T, white trees. Um, this is most evident in the fact that they beget no seed. You may be thinking, what of the weirwood paste? Don't they mention weirwood seeds then? But it seems to me that Jojen paste is more likely, and thus the only mention we get of weirwood seeds is when Bran is clearly being lied to. If the Jojen paste theory is true, then that would mean that even that which is referred to as the seed of the weirwood is death itself. The weirwoods thus beget no new life, even when they die, and stand totally outside the natural order of death, rebirth, and life. They stand as an other to the natural order of life and death, where death serves life in perpetual balance. In the world of the weirwoods, life serves death. I know, I know. Oh, oh, oh. Very clever, very clever, Vertigon. Love it. We must ask ourselves, then, why would the children of the forest worship such demon trees that stand in absolute antithesis to their strongest convictions? Perhaps they didn't originally. Aha! Perhaps in teaching the first men of their arcane knowledge, in the hopes that men would come peacefully to live within the knowledge of life and death, they gave man an opportunity he could not resist, the opportunity to cheat death. I would propose, then, that the weirwoods are a creation of men, and not the original tree of life for the children of the forest. If we follow the success of Garth the Green, or the successors of Garth the Green, perhaps not as individual offspring, but as dynasties, kingdoms, and tribes, then we eventually see the culmination of man's relations to the children of the forest being the rape and slaughter at Red Lake. It is naive to think that the peace achieved at the Isle of Faces would last, and that the first men became faithful friends to the children of the forest ever after. More realistic and more fitting to the story is that men grew hungrier and hungrier for the children's power as time passed and sought ever to break their cycle uh, for their own ascendance. Break the cycle for their own ascendance. I would go, even go further in suggesting that it was man's attainment of this power and the creation of the weirwood net that ushered in or was a product of the long night. This would eventually leave the children of the forest with no other place to turn in this world of death and darkness to shelter under those corrupted powers that were once their own and had brought down the doom upon them. Pretty good, right? 
pretty good stuff. Weirwood Abomination. This is actually Vertigon. I'm I'm gonna steal a couple of these things for an episode. I have to say, um, there is gonna be an entire episode just about Weirwood Abomination. I have been talking about it around the margins for a while. I have suggested that the Weirwoods are in pain, that they don't like being inhabited and skin changed by people, that their faces betray that fact, they're screaming and bleeding, um, and that they are an abomination. Then I went on to figure out that Azor High seems to have broken into the Weirwood net, seems to have forced his way in. I've been suggesting that he's the first Greenseer. I think that that dovetails very nicely with what Vertigon is talking about. Uh, it was the act of mankind forcing its way into whatever the Weirwoods used to be that transformed them into what they are now. And I believe this was how the others were created. You guys know, I think the others are basically, they were the original tree spirits. And when Azor High invaded the Weirwood net, he evicted the tree spirits. And we see that symbolism played out over and over and over and over. I've talked about it in a few scattered episodes. But essentially what I think is that uh, the just what Vertigon is saying, the creation of the Weirwood Net is an abomination. The others were created, I think, at the same time as the Weirwood Net. When I say the Weirwood Net, I'm saying like what we know of now as the Weirwood Net. I think that the, the Weirwoods might have been totally different before. Um, I, I think it's more than just like they have faces carved into them. They may have looked different. You know, they may not have looked all bloody and stuff. They may not have had blood red sap. So here's where the Oaken Seed actually might be, might actually make some sense, is that the Oaken Seed is a clue that perhaps the oak trees were the original trees of the children of the forest, and that, you know, using the Weirwoods or creating the Weirwoods was the second phase of it, um, because a living tree throne, I mean, that just sounds just like a Weirwood throne. That's what a Weirwood throne is, a living tree throne, and then we have this Oaken seat planted by Garth the Green. So this is this is original. This is the first thing that they did. They made this oaken seat, and Garth's children are associated with oaks. And then, okay, so here's here's a really good. There's actually a good symbolism clue about this, and it comes from uh, the ranger named Giant when him and Jon Snow are north of the Wall. Okay. I know all the names, save your breath, he walked away, a ghost at his side. The rain had dwindled to a thin drizzle by the time he reached the gate. Dusk would be on them soon, followed by another wet, dark, dismal night. The clouds would hide the moon and stars and Mormont's torch, turning the woods black as pitch. Every piss would be an adventure, if not quite the sort Jon Snow had once envisioned. Out under the trees, some rangers had found enough duff and dry wood to start a fire beneath a slanting ridge of slate. Others had raised tents or made rude shelters by stretching their cloaks over low branches. Giant had crammed himself inside the hollow of a dead oak. How'd you like my castle, Lord Snow? So here's the thing. Giant, the ranger named Giant, is, is actually really short, and he climbs the tree like a squirrel. And so he's compared to a squirrel, and that gives you Child of the Forest symbolism because he's literally spotted climbing a weirwood like a squirrel. But now he's making a castle inside a dead oak. So I guess what I'm saying is that I've thought of weirwoods symbolically as being equivalent to like a dead oak tree. And it could be that the weirwoods were even made out of a corruption of oaks. Something like that. But 
that's another one we'll probably never get an answer to. It's more like implied mythology. Uh, and the safest way to put it is just that you can see, again, that the, uh, the weirwood is in place of the holly tree as the tree of the winter king, and he's sort of keeping the oak tree as, as the summer king tree. So George is twisted, though, and so he likes the idea of corrupted evil trees with spirits in them and stuff like that. And yes, others living in skin tents. Yeah, that was, that's a pretty interesting one, huh? That's uh, all that makes me think of the idea that the, the green zombie Night's Watchmen and the others are, you know, their creation has to do with one another. or They're almost like two sides of a coin there. Because you get this other symbolism applied to some of the Black Brothers. And then we also think of the way the Night King en- enslaved his brothers with sorcery. Um, and so there's the idea that Night's Watchmen, you know, returned to serve Night King and probably used to make others... And then there's that really cool scene with Bannon, the Night's Watch Ranger, who's dying of cold in Craster's Keep right as the baby monster is being born upstairs in the loft. So you've got this idea of that a Night's Watch Ranger is, is frozen and killed with cold in order to make an other baby, which is what monster is supposed to be. And then when they go out and burn his body, Bannon, the ranger, you get one of those fiery sorcerers in the bonfire scenes where it looks like Bannon is sitting up in the bonfire. So yeah, Vertigon, very cool. Like I said, I'm going to be doing a whole episode. It might be the last one in the King Brand series, even, about how the Weirwoods are an abomination. Because this is the whole point. You can start to see the story here. Like, I keep talking about burning down the Weirwood net, and you guys know how I am. I get lost in the symbolism, the mythology, and at a certain point, I have to, you know, I have to remember to stop and say, well, how does this make sense with the the themes of the story, the the characters, the, the the surface level plot that we see coming, how is it all going to tie in together? So what kind of sense does burning or shutting down the weirwood net make? How is that a satisfactory ending? That's the obvious question. Well, the answer is, is pretty simple. If man wasn't supposed to be inside the weirwood net to begin with, if it's an abomination for mankind to skin change the trees and become green seers, then... All we're doing is like fixing that or undoing that. So think about the download idea. Think about the hive mind, the green seer hive mind as a foreign presence inside the trees that needs to get out. So it makes a lot of sense if all the green seer mind is downloaded back into Bran, his brain, and it's out of the trees. And then the trees are like left alone. I don't know. Maybe the others can even go back in there somehow. That could be part of defeating the others as they go back into the trees. If any of you have watched the reverse reading of the Game of Thrones prologue episode, we should start back. Uh, We saw a lot of symbolism about the others maybe going back into the trees somehow. Is Raven Salix lighting it up again in the chat? What do we got here? Um, Oh, yeah. So, okay. So here's a good quote that Bale the Bard pulled. Um, It's in A Clash of Kings. A boy called Tarber tossed a handful of acorns on top of Praed's body so an oak might grow to mark his place. So, yeah, very similar. Um, We see that also Brienne tosses the golden dragons over the grave of, of, uh, oh, God, Nimble Dick Crab. (laughs) I almost forgot Nimble Dick's name. (laughs) Don't tell anyone. Uh, She tosses the golden dragons in, and Nimble Dick's buried under a weirwood. And so here we have acorns... uh, you know, so a tree will grow over him. So that's that's pretty cool. Prayed was a cell sword. Yep. And there's also the women buried beneath the willow, and then the willow seems to whisper please as the women did. 
Um, yep. So we've got a few different trees used uh, in that sort of magical way, but George is basically riffing on a lot of world mythology having to do with uh, people's spirits being stored in trees and stuff like that. So Terry of the Citadel asks, why wouldn't Bloodraven have downloaded it, though? Uh, it's possible because we're this is something that has to wait until the last battle against the others. This is part of defeating the others, and it's you know can only be done when the comet returns, or when Bran is born, or something like that. There, there's something about Bran where he can do it, what Bloodraven can't. He may have stronger magic than Bloodraven. I mean, that, that I definitely think is true, that Bran has stronger magic. Uh, and so it could be that Bran is, is the one who can do that, you know, the only one. All right, so let me grab... I think there's a couple more questions that I got. Like I said, some very good questions this week. Thanks, everybody. Uh, Green Girl, another, this is a great one. Uh, so what does it imply that the Summer King is infertile? Very simple question, but kind of like rolling a grenade into a room or a chaos apple. It's like, oh, hey, that's a good question. The Summer King is infertile. Think about Robert. Like, Robert has, he's very lusty, right? He has tons of kids, but they're all bastards. And they all get killed, except for a couple of them. So that fertility is actually inverted. He doesn't have any true-born heirs. And um, the Cersei jokes about giving him horns by allowing Jaime to get her pregnant. Um, so there's a lot of sort of undercutting of that, actually. Um, and then Renly, of course, he's not even interested in women <laughs> or having children uh, and doesn't. Now, with Bran, I think that it goes a little deeper. I think that this is talking about, first of all, Bran giving up his own fertility uh, and vitality for the people. So he himself uh, cannot have any Branlings um, or Bran boners, I, I think. But uh, <laughs> unfortunately... Uh, but he has given his fertility over to the people. That's why the, the crow's always asking him for seed. Like, seed is literally his seed. Like, his his ability to have children, his his ability to be a fertile, you know, reproducer. It's, it's being taken and sacrificed. Instead, we're getting something magical. And what he's going to do is use that magical gift to help other people. And I'm going to talk about this more in my next video. Um, which is called... Oh, I'll actually preview it in a second. I've got the art for it ready. But it, and essentially, right, let, me, let me put it this way. Why should Bran be king, right? I've said so far, I've said, well, because he's a green seer king, and we need a green seer, a very strong green seer, to help defeat the others. Um, I've said that he should be king because he's a summer king, and we need summer to come again. Uh, another reason is that Bran has possessed the fire of the gods. And this is basically the topic sentence for my next video. And the thing is, Euron has possessed the fire of the gods too, right? Bran and Euron are the two characters, maybe Daenerys, if you want to say those three, who are really possessing the fire of the gods, reaching for godlike power and possessing it. Euron is not using it to help anybody. It's all about self-aggrandizement for Euron. But Bran, I believe, the difference will be that when he gets his weirwood powers, he's going to use them to help people. I mean, obviously, Bran is good-hearted. He may be committing abominations here and there, you know, but he's young. He doesn't understand what he's doing, and he honestly always wants to help people and feels very empathetic for people. And so I think that Bran will retain that basic sense of goodness, and the whole idea of him being a summer king is that he's going to give himself back to the people. So his infertility 
maybe something more about that sacrifice. Now, the other layer to it that I was thinking about Bran being infertile, it has to do with the Weirwood Net shutdown thing that I'm talking about. So think about this. Bran represents the last green seer. There's not supposed to be more green seers, essentially. Like, he is supposed to right the wrong of Azor High, who invaded the Weirwood Net, by getting all of the human green seer stuff out of the Weirwood Net. And so he is an end of the line figure. Like, that's what he's doing. He's ending, he's the last green seer. He's shutting it down. So the idea of him being infertile, it makes sense. His children won't be king. There won't be more green seers. It's the end. Um, so that's why he's got to take all that knowledge and all that magic and, and, and give it to everyone and use it to help rebuild Westeros the best he can. And it's particularly the knowledge. Yeah, we got to shut this thing down until we can just figure out what's going on, you know? So there you go. Good question. And actually, let me turn that over to you guys, too. I'm not, I'm not sold that I have that one completely explained. So are there any other ideas about Bran being infertile um, that... Well, okay, so we know this because Ned tells Arya, I think it is, that Bran will never father sons. So I guess that means, you know... Hey, it's Ideas of Ice and Fire. You know what? I'm going to make you a moderator. Give you some respect, eh? Some respect around here. There we go. Anyways, thanks for coming by, Quinn. And uh, hope you guys have been enjoying Quinn's new videos. He's been doing a lot of Dune stuff, but he's done some A Song of Ice and Fire videos that are more thematic lately. And he's talking about evil, the evil of Euron. And it's very much a flip side of the Fire of the Gods idea. So make sure to check that one out. All right, and so we've got uh, Maud Lena saying, in the show, the next House Braun of Highgarden is formed. Do you think there will be a new House of Highgarden in the books? If so, I'd love to see me some peaks of Highgarden, but I don't think it's likely. So I actually do think there's something to this. I'd like to see some sort of reestablishing of Highgarden, uh, maybe even somebody who calls himself a gardener. That would, that would really float my boat, sort of you know, bringing it back around. But yeah, that's that's a good that's a good notion. I don't know. I mean, obviously, it probably won't be Bronn. That seems like something the show did just to tie up a loose end. But it's definitely, I definitely think the Tyrells are going down with the Fagon ship. I don't know if you guys. I mean, there's a whole thing about Aegon having friends in the Reach, and there's going to be sort of a. Uh, oh, I said sorry. That's what's supposed to happen. A lot of the Tyrells allies are supposed to defect to Fagon, leaving the Tyrells sort of isolated with the Lannisters. That is the official foreshadowing, which I think makes sense. But yeah, Tyrells are definitely, I think they look doomed. So I could see some new people in charge of Highgarden. They should find a gardener somewhere, man. They really should. Like, I don't know, maybe Lamy Greenhands. Oh, he's dead. That's right. All right. So Sarah Nori says, right before the Harvest Feast, Bran sees warships with his mind's eye and wonders if a cripple ever captained a ship. Is he seeing Bran the shipwright, or it is for, or is this foreshadowing about how Bran might get back to Winterfell? So I made a snarky comment on YouTube, Sarah. I said, "Shh, you're giving it away," because this is actually going to be in the next episode. Bran seeing ships in his mind's eye, and then wanting to captain one. So we talked a couple weeks ago, actually, when Quinn was on uh, the God Kings and Abominations live stream. We talked about the idea of Bran sailing on a boat from Blood Raven's Cave back to Winterfell, 
or at least back under the wall, you know, that underground river. Maybe it runs all the way back to the crypts or something. I didn't think about this quote in that context, but yeah, this could be this could be the way that Bran gets to captain a ship. If he does it, then we'll have to look at this as foreshadowing. I was interpreting this in terms of symbolism. Bran sees warships with his mind's eye, right? So obviously we think of the weirwood boat, the idea of weirwoods as ships to sail the river of time in the cosmic ocean and the green sea. Shout out Ravenous Reader. So when Bran sees a ship in his mind's eye, that to me is just green seer talk and saying that he's going to captain a ship, you know, as a weirwood, as a green seer. Um, and there's more to be wrung out of that quote, but I'm going to save it for next week. Marie Charlotte, hope it's not too late for a few questions. Fired him in this morning. Nope, I gotcha. I'm irritated by the idea of a magical being ruling in the end. I had hoped for Westeros to get something a bit less authoritarian than absolute monarchy and a ward king. Uh, that seems to be the opposite, even more powerful. Do you have any ideas for some kind of checks and balances system for King Bran? Or at least see the possibility for something like that. So I've already gotten into this a little bit. I think the whole point of Bran, you know, he's the last green seer. So like I said, he's after the battle is over, he may even lose some of his magical abilities and only be left with the knowledge. I'm not sure how it's going to work. The point isn't that he's going to reign for a thousand years as an all-powerful god-king. It's more like he is a transition into something less magical, a less magical Westeros. Uh, because I think, like I said, I think part of him becoming who he is is going to involve the Weirwood Net shutdown. And I also think George is giving a commentary, actually, if you think about this, by saying that the right king is the god-man, the god-emperor, a la, you know, Dune. He's sort of saying that no one's really fit to be king, because in real life, there are no god-kings, nobody's perfect, everyone is flawed. And so what George is saying is that the position of king, what, what George might be saying, I should say, is that the position of king really only makes sense if you have a perfect person, if you have a god on earth with all wisdom, who does not, you know, have his personal emotions get involved in, you know, taking sides when he's taking, making judgment or whatever. Like, if you had such an unrealistic person, then he should be king. But of course, we know we don't have those people. And so no one really should be king. And we've, we've decided that collectively as humans that, you know, one person should not be king. Most, most countries have, have gotten there. And oh gosh, I'm tempted to make political commentary. All right. So I did it. Self-control. I can do it. I have ADD. I can still self-regulate. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, second part of that question. How about some War King Witch Queen action from Sansa or Rickon? Possible or very unlikely? More likely with Rickon, certainly. Certainly more likely. Please, chat. Can I get some horny goat emojis? It's been a while. <laughs> yes, we're going to get we're going to get an army of wargs, cannibals, the the unicorns, which are really the the horny goats, and they're all going to come riding down and I think Rickon, I like I've said before, I think that uh, Rickon is going to be a little bit shades of young Varamir Sixkins. When Varamir is is uh recounting his life, he was only uh 6, I believe, when he first uh, tapped into, there we go, I see some horny goats. He was about six when he warged into one of the family dogs, and it sounds like he killed his younger brother. Uh, poor Bump. He was lumped then. 
And so you get this idea that a child who's a skin changer, who's sort of cast out from their family, is going to be kind of wild, and all the all their messed up problems are going to have the outlet of, of a wolf's anger to express themselves. So, yes, I believe there will be some war craziness with Rickon, but it probably won't be glorious, so it'll probably be sad. Now, Sansa has lost her wolf. So we know that she is a skin changer, but she's lost her wolf. There are some little tinfoil theories about maybe, you know, she's going to get some bird action because she's called a bird so many times. But probably I think that Sansa is not going to be a magical figure. She's going to be the Stark character who serves as more of a link to the politics in the real world. It seemed like that's what the TV show was going to use her as. John is doing his thing, Bran's doing his thing, and here's Sansa sort of like organizing shit. And they kind of did it, it was kind of lackluster, but I think in the books, you'll see more of Sansa using her wisdom and experience to coordinate, you know, feeding people, running the armies, doing the actual logistics that keep people alive. Um, so probably not a magical, a magical figure. She's disconnected from the North right now, Quinn, but I think that it's coming back. I think the Snow Castle scene in the Eerie foreshadows her uh, coming back to her roots. And that'll be a moment of personal uh, transformation for her. Um, let's see. Possible blood connections between Ward King and Night's King. Uh, yeah, I mean, Ward King is a mythical figure, so I don't know if he's who he's connected to. I do think Night King was a Stark and probably a Green Seer. That's, that's for sure. And in fact, some people have been advancing a theory, and a Bail the Bard, I think this is your idea, that Night's Queen was a weirwood tree and not a woman. And that, uh, and of course, we found weirwood symbolism on a lot of Night King women, like Val or Morna White Mask. Uh, I think that that is, that's possible. Yep, all caps, that's your idea. Okay, there you go. So... Because when you think about Night, uh, Night King going north of the wall and seeing a woman, like north of the wall is could also be under the sea or into, um, you know, into the frozen half of the weirwood net. So Night's Queen could even be like a figure that you only see when you go in the weirwood net, like some sort of avatar of the weirwood. So it's like maybe she's a lady, you know, in your dream form, but it's actually basically just the weirwood, uh, which is a pretty cool idea. Maybe Ball the Bard will do a write-up on that. See, Andrew Stephen Bowow says, George has spent time anthropomorphizing the weirwood tree. He has intentionally omitted using the crown, upper leaves in the tree, for Bran and his kissed-by-fire hair. Or has he intentionally? Okay, so I think the point he's trying to make here is that Bran has red hair, like all Tully's, but it's only mentioned at the beginning of the story and never again. So we don't think about Bran as having kissed-by-fire hair. But yeah, he does which means that he looks kind of like a weirwood tree himself. Except for he has blue eyes, which is interesting, because that gives you the ice and fire sort of symbiosis. Uh, but yeah, I could see the crown language. I mean, there is one time when the weirwood canopy is described as a crown in a Jon Snow chapter uh, when he's at the Grove of Nine. The, the, you know, like a patch of red leaves crowned the weirwood or something like that. The appearance of Blood Raven and the Weirwood at Raven Tree Hall have strong similarities. Will Winterfell's heart tree match Bran's when he transforms? Uh, yeah, I can see that. And I think, doesn't Theon... Does Theon think the tree looks like Bran, or is it just that he hears his voice? I could definitely see that happening. Um, and then he goes further with some tinfoil and says, Could this mean that half dead, the half-dead Weirwood at the Citadel is connected to Cold Hands, being possibly Maester Willis? 
So Maester Willis is a maester that was lost uh, in the north, I believe, at Hardhome. And so there is a theory that he's cold hands. Um, I don't favor that, but maybe. Um, and so he's making the connection that the half-dead weirwood at the Citadel on the Isle of Ravens is like mirroring the green seer that's connected to it, which would be Maester Willis. Um, probably not, like I said, because I don't think that, that that's who Cold Hands is. But I do think that half-dead weirwood at the Raven at the Isle of Ravens is super important, and it's I think it's symbolic of Azora High, the green seer, because it's got that purple moss on it, which gives you that whole idea of you know a purple eyes, a purple face, because the moss is across the face. And then it's, it's of course, half-dead. So it's like a half-dead purple weirwood tree, I guess you could say. And usually moss green is a green seer description. So purple moss is like Targaryen green seer. Could be, maybe. Okay, I think that is the questions that were sent in ahead of time. I got about five, maybe ten minutes. I did start late, so I'll call it like ten minutes. If there are some more comments. Hey, Rod, damn it. Thanks for coming by, man. Uh, Fall Autumn Kings. What do you mean by that? I don't know how to change names. See, in the uh, Oak King, Holly King alignment, there's basically only a summer and a winter king. And the winter king takes over in the fall, I believe. It, it actually depends, it, to be honest, on the branch of mythology. Sometimes the changeover date is like midwinter, and sometimes it's fall. So, what comes after the King Brand videos? Um, probably the Euron and Danny videos. I'm going to be doing at least one of those in close collaboration with Ball the Bard because she has just some great ideas about Danny and Euron. And we started collaborating a bit and talking about them and uh, they're just too good. Yeah, oh, it's spicy. It is spicy. Some good stuff. So we'll, uh, what we'll do is we'll collaborate on one of my normal scripted episodes and then I'll have her on uh, a Q&A live stream afterwards so we can kick around some other ideas. But yeah, we've talked about, I've previewed some of those ideas on some of these live streams. And basically it's just the idea that, you know, Euron in the show is not Euron in the books. Euron in the show is just a flunky pirate who makes, you know, ribald jests. Uh, whereas, you know, Euron in the books is shaping up as the number one enemy, the great evil, you know, he could be body snatched by the great other or the night king inside the weirwood net and become like a Lovecraftian ho a host for like a Lovecraftian deity or something really messed up. You know, if you want to talk about what's going to be different in the books and the show, start with Euron. Because the books don't have Euron. <laughs> the books also do have a Night King figure. And we don't have a Night King figure, in, or the show has a Night King figure, whereas in the books, we don't currently have a Night King or a leader of the others that we have seen. So, it could just be that evil Euron is going to do some of the stuff that show Night King does, like steal Viserion. Um, or it could be that, yeah, I know, my words are not, uh, they're a little messed up today, ideas. I think, uh, I don't know, didn't get enough sleep or something, but you know what it was? It was all the YouTube troubles this morning. I got all discombobulated. That's what I'll blame it on. We're blaming YouTube today. In any case, Euron might do some of the Night King stuff. He might steal Viserion, um, you know, or, or do some of that stuff. But Euron could also become the Night King, too. Like, what if Night King is more like a spirit in the weirwood net, like the Great Other, or like Inaluki from Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn, and he's looking for a host body. Again, also in like Lovecraftian stories, you have Lovecraftian deities possessing people. So it's possible that Euron, in his quest to become powerful, actually just 
makes himself like worthy of just being taken advantage of by some being that that he doesn't even understand you know it's like the foolish i mean that's that's definitely a trope like the chief bad guy sorcerer turns out to just be you know he gives himself to the demon god that he worships thinking that he's going to be powerful and the demon god just takes him over so uh, i believe that's happened a bunch of times in fantasy and other stories here and there so you could you could get some sort of night king euron which would be sick i mean that would just be evil uh, and so whatever happens there, that's going to be way different than in the books. And so we've got some more specific ideas about that that we'll flesh out. So after the King Brand series, we'll be doing some of the Euron stuff. That's going to lead into Daenerys' material, because Daenerys is obviously on a collision course with Euron right now. Um, and that's going to lead us to some ideas about Danny and you know some of the dark things that she might do, uh, how they could happen differently. I think I'm leaning towards the theory that uh, King's Landing being destroyed in part by Danny is something that's going to happen before she goes and fights the others as opposed to afterward. I think that makes a lot more sense. And I think that King's Landing will be destroyed slightly more accidentally in that, you know, Danny's just aggressively retaking the city, sets off the wildfire by accident, and has way more civilian casualties than she wanted to, and feels bad, and gets painted as a bad guy. But is it doesn't turn like fucking psycho in the middle of the uh <laughs> I think I just destroyed my monetization. Oh well. Uh in the middle of the battle and just start burning people, which is not consistent with Daenerys's character at all, obviously. Uh I've seen some people asking for more dark material. Thank you guys. Um but all the Bard and I did start a dark YouTube channel uh to talk about dark and because we've been talking about dark a lot and we are trying to get everyone else to watch it. Melanie Lot 7's almost done. And uh, I got some other people working their way through it. So, yeah, link, link, I guess I should. It's called Sick Podcast Creatist Est, which is a riff on Sick Mundus Creatist Est, which means, and thus the world was created. And that's a phrase from the show. Oh, we have 99 subscribers. Gosh, who wants to be the 100th subscriber? You win nothing except for my respect. But it's out there. There you go. Dark is an awesome show. It really is. Thanks, ciao, AJ. Yeah, so, right. Uh, thanks, Asherus, Trueborn, and Son. So part of the idea about what's actually going to happen in the books with King's Landing is that the, the idea of someone going mad from hearing bells sounds obviously like a John Con thing because John Connington has the whole history with the bells from the Battle of the Bells. So a lot of somebody smarter than me figured out that it's likely they took the idea of John Con flipping out, hearing the bells, and attacking King's Landing and grafted it onto Danny, and it just didn't make much sense, but it will make more sense with John Con. So I think there could be a couple of waves of conquest. King's Landing is going to be decimated in phases. I think that's what we should think. So first we've got Fagon that's going to take it from Cersei. He's going to be the cloth dragon on poles that is greeted by a cheering crowd. So people will like Fagon. He's going to be in power for a bit. But then Danny's going to come, and we're going to have another battle of King's Landing at some point. So... Yeah, it's gonna get it's gonna get. Uh, oh, I see Trugon Truthers in the chat. What's up? Love you guys. You guys are the best. Trugon. I mean, maybe. I'm not a thousand percent on that, but I do like calling him Fagon. In fact, I did a. Ooh, more karaoke. I've got a Fagon. My name is Fagon. Weezer, Weezer tune. Maybe next time. I think I've sung that one before. Anyways, he's a proper young lad. Yes, he is. He might be a good king too. See, I think, I think what George is doing is 
Fagon is either a Blackfire or a Pisswater Prince. I think he's just playing with the idea of like blood royalty. Like it really doesn't matter if his blood is real or not, if people think he is, and if he can keep things under control or rule well. Uh, but that's that's up for debate. The boy's got a temper, so you never know. Oh, okay, you're not a real, not, you're not a true god truther. You're just being a, okay. You're just kidding around. All right. Well, Helen, thanks for coming by, and I think I'm gonna go ahead and wrap it up. It's been about two hours. Uh, I need to check on my fantasy team. Oh, getting my butt kicked. Come on, Ezekiel Elliott. Mike Evans with a zero? What is this? Anyways, sorry, guys. A couple of you have caught me on a Football Guys chat, knowing the uh, little crossover there. But thanks for coming, everyone. Um, working on the next video, like I said, I posted the artwork on Twitter. It is called The God on Earth, King Brand Part 3. It is going to be talking about the fire of the gods. Going to be talking about uh, lightning, striking the tower, the tower tarot card, Grey King. Basically, all my cool Grey King Greenseer ideas condensed way down and more closely correlated with Bran as a Greenseer King. And I'm going to try to explain the whole fire of the gods concept in one go. And it's going to be fun. I've already got it recorded and written. So there you go. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for coming. Thanks, mods, for running the chat. Thanks, everybody, for all your good behavior and good remarks and the good questions that were sent in. And I will talk to you next time. Peace. My name is Fagon. I'm carrying the steel. Though I made like a dragon, I supplant with golden zeal. Place I've asked with